Certain information set forth in this podcast may contain forward-looking information under applicable securities laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. Solberry Trout and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in this podcast if circumstances or management's estimates or opinions should change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell securities and does not constitute an investment advice. My name is Neil Canavan. I'm the scientific advisor to Solberry Trout, and this is the latest edition of NameTag, a podcast series that introduces healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. Today, I'm speaking with Dale Chappelle, Dr. Dave Chappelle, thank you. He is the CSO of Humanogen. Dale, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my pleasure, Neil, and thanks for having me. So first things first, for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with Humanogen, let's start with the elevator pitch. Dale, here's the challenge, 60 seconds or less. Where is Humanogen headquartered? How long have you been there? And give me a little idea of what kind of science you're doing there. So Humanogen was founded in 2000. The company's located in Burlingame, California. The company was founded around a platform technology of, of humaneering antibodies. It's a way of human, humanizing antibodies. That resulted in three clinical grade uh, antibodies. Our lead asset is lenzilumab. It's an anti-GMCSF monoclonal antibody. We're using our lead asset lens to target cytokine storm. Um, and that can be cytokine storm with COVID-19, cytokine storm with GVHD, or cytokine storm that results from, from CAR-T. So we think about Humanogen now as a cytokine storm company and the leader in cytokine storm. All right. Now, uh, in keeping with the mission of name tag, which is introduced listeners to senior management, in this case, you, let's do a bit of your background. Uh, first, you have a BS in immunology at the University of Arizona, Tucson. So, yeah, go Wildcats. Uh, then came your medical training at Dartmouth. Uh, you got your MD in 1997. Uh, what was your specialty? So right after medical school, Neil, I went on and did a postdoc fellowship. So I never practiced clinical oh. medicine. I was, I guess, more interested in the basic sciences portion of, of medicine. So unlike a lot of my classmates who went off into internships um, and did clinical medicine, I went right to the NCI and started doing uh, bench side basic research. All right. Well, uh, you not only landed the NCI, you landed in the most famous lab at the NCI, I would argue which is that of Steve Rosenberg. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, I know Steve, uh, I, I really wanna know what was this interview like? How did you get in his lab? Yeah, so I, I had applied for a Howard Hughes Medical Institute fellowship. So I already had the fellowship and that allows you then to, uh, I guess in a two-way process, pick your lab at the NCI. So you do a tour of several labs that you might be interested in. You have to pick you know, the lab you're interested in and then they have to pick pick you. It's a little bit of a matchmaking contest. Um, I, I knew uh, I had certainly had interest in the surgery branch and Dr. Uh, Rosenberg and Dr. Stipo's lab. They were probably top on my list. Um, was lucky enough to get the interview, uh, sat down with Dr. Rosenberg and Dr. Stipo. As you know, you, you know Dr. Rosenberg. He's incredibly intense. Um, uh, 
that was uh, a very nerve wracking process. Um, <laughs> luckily enough, I guess I answered the questions well enough and was selected to be in their lab. And that was a fantastic experience, probably set my career trajectory on, on the path that it is. Um, and certainly owe both of those gentlemen, Dr. Ristifo and Dr. Rosenberg, a lot. I mean, learned so much there in that, in that two year time frame. Yeah, I, I just want to elaborate a bit more on that. Uh, there's some serious name dropping to be done. Obviously, Dr. Rosenberg, uh, you mentioned Nick Ristifo, who is easily one of the brightest men I've ever met, and a complete contrast to Steve. If you have trouble talking to Steve, talk to Nick. That'll be a very different experience. Um, also, during that time, uh, you, you were a co-author on some uh, papers, and I don't need to talk about the science of the papers. One of them actually was GMCSF, but I just wanted to mention the co-authors. So Nick Ristifo being one of them. A lead author on GMCSF was Vincenzo Bronti. He went on to discover MDSC cells. Uh, then you went on to, uh, let's see, who else? Oh, yes, Patrick Hugh. Patrick Hugh, in addition to being the keyboard player for Jim Allison, the Checkpoint Band, uh, he also just recently took over the CEO chair at Moffitt. He is a immunotherapy pioneer. Um, and I mentioned, oh, yeah, and there's one more, a man named Pal Vax. Uh, who, who is what now? Tell me. He's the uh, chief medical officer for Moderna. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I'm mentioning all this to, to demonstrate to listeners that you are extremely well connected in the IO world. But all of this leaves me a little puzzled. After this fellowship, you left the bench and you went and got an MBA at Harvard and never looked back. Why? Well, Neil, I appreciate you pointing out how much of an underachiever I am from the group that was at the <laughs> NCI at that time. But no, I, I, I certainly love the basic sciences. Um, I felt that for a lifelong career in the lab, that may not suit my personality. So was trying to figure out a way that I could use this love of science and stay really close to biotech, but maybe do a little bit more beyond sort of the bench side research. So I thought and I guess rightly so that I was going to go into industry. So I decided to pursue an MBA to help me make that transition from the, the MD you know, research path into industry. Um, I guess I took a detour and became a, a buy side investor. Um, certainly didn't really see that coming when I uh, first went to business school, but um, that's been an interesting path as well. Helped me learn a lot. Uh, but I guess now when you look at where I've landed at Ultimately, as the chief scientific officer for human management, it's come full circle. So I'm back in industry, really close to the science and working on GMCSF. So it's essentially what I expected to be doing, but maybe delayed by about 18 years. <laughs> okay, so um, tell me a little bit about the BiSide experience. You landed at some place called Black Horse Capital in 2002, or you even started it. Yeah, so I was one of the co-founders of Black Horse Capital, and we started okay. in, in 2002, and I've been running uh, Black Horse ever since. Uh, Black Horse was started with a very broad mandate. Um, it was uh, myself and, a, and a, another partner who happened to be an MD. Um, so even though probably investing in healthcare and biotech would make a lot of sense, we decided that we wanted a, a broad mandate. We focused on all kinds of special situations, restructuring and turnaround situations. Uh, for some reason, we just didn't want to be pigeonholed in, in, in biotech. So we started off with this broad mandate. And as time went on, we've, I guess, I certainly realized that, you know, it's probably better to focus in on, on biotechnology. So that's really where we've landed. All right. Now, 
related to that work, I'm not going to ask you if you put any money into Moderna, because that would be a success story and those are all boring. Uh, give me an example of a call you blew and what that taught you. And I don't need the names or companies, but just a situation where you're like, okay, I learned something here. Yeah, there's so many situations, Neil, where I've had to learn uh, probably more than I would like to admit. But I, probably if there's a key lesson here for me, it's that you have to have, you know, everyone talks about this, but you have to have an edge if you really want to be successful as an investor. And for me, that's been learning to really stick to biotech and to stick to immunology and immuno-oncology. So as I mentioned, we had started with a very broad mandate. We're doing telecom and retail and, you know, all types of different industries. And, and I guess trying to show the breadth of our investment acumen. And that led to more, more mistakes um, and a lot, a lot of investment losses. And so I think that, you know, when we look back at the returns on our portfolio, where they were coming from, they're almost always coming from biotech. So I, I think that just made me realize that, you know, you really need to be an expert in what you invest in. You really need to know it inside and out. Um, so that's actually been a great learning lesson. It allowed me to really focus in on the areas where I feel like I have an investment edge, where I can use the knowledge that I've gained throughout my entire you know, educational and investment career, like being that even you know, undergrad immunology, certainly the time at the NCI and the immuno-oncology lab. I'm using all that now in you know, developing an investment thesis and then putting that into action. So, I mean, it's fairly obvious now your motivation for running this company and GMCSF, you have such a foundational understanding of the mechanisms. Um, I was wondering if you could tell the listener who's a non-scientist, let's just do a really brief overview of the normal function of GMCSF in the immune system. Absolutely. So, so GMCSF was originally discovered as a growth factor, just like MCSF and GCSF. However, with time though, it's, I think what we're, we've learned, it's, it's not really an obligate growth factor. So it's probably, its name is a misnomer. It's more of an inflammatory signaling protein or an inflammatory cytokine. And what it really does is it allows one part of the immune system or the adaptive immune system, and in particular T cells, to communicate with the innate immune system or myeloid cells. So it really helps those two parts of the immune system talk to each other. Okay. And now we're going to move on to something that people in the IO space are very familiar with, and that's called CRS or cytokine release syndrome, alternately called cytokine storm. This was first observed, at least in, in my understanding, in patients who are the first to receive CAR T cells. And this was a real surprise because the preclinical work with mice, none of the mice got this condition. It's only people. So um, expanding on that a bit, in what other settings and what other therapies might you see CRS? Yeah, so, so Neil, you know, in fact, the, the term cytokine storm was first used to describe graph, acute graft versus host disease and in patients that got an allotransplant. So that term had kind of been thrown around before. I think, you know, it probably came more to the public's attention around CAR-T because that cytokine release syndrome of CAR-T is so dramatic. Um, it happens so quickly, and it's even probably more profound than what you see in the acute GBHD setting. Um, but there's, as you mentioned, there's a lot of other, under that umbrella of cytokine storm, you know, that can be acute GBHD, that can be cytokine release syndrome with CAR-T, 
You see it in, in ARDS or uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome with COVID-19. You may be seeing a similar thing with other respiratory viruses, certainly the pandemic respiratory viruses, but it's possible even with seasonal flu in the elderly populations or these patients that are at risk of ARDS, that's probably a form of, of cytokine storm. Um, Carl June just recently had a, a review article on this that was published in the New England Journal and did a great job, I think, describing the phenomenon and sort of what is and was what is not cytokine storm. So, you know, if anybody has an interest in that, I would certainly recommend that article. All right, so your lead asset, lenzilumab, uh, we're gonna to refer to it as LEN from here on out. Uh, you're, you're targeting this syndrome. This is a neutralizing monoclonal antibody uh, targeting GMCSS. Now, it is described as being human-eared. I'm familiar with the term humanized, but not human-eared. Could you just parse that out for me? Yeah, so human-eared is a step beyond humanizing an antibody. So, Neil, your antibodies are fully human, but if you injected some of your antibodies into me, I might, my body might recognize those as, as foreign because of somatic mutations that happen with antibody formation. So what human earring does is it goes a step beyond just humanizing. It tries to return the light and heavy chain sequences back to germline. So in the case of lens, it's 94% homologous to human germline. And the idea behind that is to make it less immunogenic so that you could do chronic dosing or conditions, you know, like asthma, for example, which was one of the indications that the company has pursued in the past. Um, you could do injections, you know, over time chronically and not develop anti-drug antibodies. All right. Now this agent is in mid to late stage uh, trials, one with uh, GVHD for stem cell transplants, uh, a CAR-T program that's being done with Gilead, a CML program, which differs slightly from the first two, and you can describe that for me. That's been partnership, uh, in partnership with Moffitt. And as you mentioned also for severe asthma, which sort of leads me into the big news right now, which is you're in phase three trial for COVID. Tell me about that and, and whatever data you might have to date. Yeah, so you know, we were already developing lens for cytokine storm. Uh, we already had a collaboration with Kite Gilead to look at the combination of lens with Kite's Yescarta. And that's do, you know, a prophylactic trial trying to prevent the cytokine storm that happens with, with Yescarta. Um, you know, when the pandemic started, we were starting to see reports coming out of China of patients who had, I guess, cl clinical signs that looked like cytokine storm. And then there were some early papers that were observing cytokine elevations and uh, Interesting myeloid cell phenomenon, myeloid trafficking to the lungs, um, myeloid to lymphocyte ratios that were indicative of a uh, myeloid-driven dysregulated immune response that looked a lot like cytokine storm. So we really started to dig into that area to see if, you know, is this really something that looks like cytokine storm? Is this a, an area where lenzilumab might have clinical utility? And I think we quickly realized that you know, the answer to all of those was yes, and we should not just pivot, I mean, we, were, we continue to develop lens in CAR-T and GBHD, but to add another program um, to see if we could make an impact in this pandemic. So um, related to that, you just signed a CRADA. Uh, could you describe the conditions of that? How does this help you develop your program? Yeah, so the CRADA is a, a cooperative research and development agreement that we signed with the Department of Defense in support of Operation Warp Speed. 
that document really provides almost what you could think of as consulting services, both from a regulatory standpoint and from a manufacturing standpoint. So if you think about, you know, Lens has shown some uh, really remarkable clinical utility so far in COVID. We published a, a case cohort study in the Mayo Clinic proceedings that showed a five-day time to discharge versus 11 in the control group and a 80% reduction in relative risk of getting ventilated or dying. So when you look at that, plus our positive interim analysis, I, you know, I think all the signs are pointing to this. This trial looks like it's trending in a positive direction. So I think, you know, what DOD is doing and Operation Warp Speed is doing, say, they're saying, you know, you're a very small company. There's clinical trial risk that may now be reduced because it looks like your trial is trending in a positive direction, but you still have regulatory and manufacturing risks. So they're stepping in really to provide consulting services around the FDA regulatory piece and around the manufacturing piece as well. So we get senior level uh, manufacturing expertise and regulatory as well. So people like you know, Janet Woodcock, for example, who's part of Operation Warp Speed can be our, on our side of the table when we interact with the FDA. All right. Now, obviously this is, you know, headline stuff. I'm here in New York, I look out the window. I'm hearing an ambulance right now. Uh, but these, we will solve this problem, but the several others you're targeting, uh, we're gonna be with us far longer. So let's, let's touch just briefly on those and describe to me where you are in those programs. Uh, the Zuma with Gilead, GVHD, and the CML program. So can you just give me uh, the flavor of all three of those, how you're proceeding? Yeah, sure. So the first two are under the cytokine storm umbrella. So that's the CAR-T and the QGVHD trials. The CAR-T trial, we're running uh, that in collaboration with Kite. So Kite's the sponsor of that trial. It's now an active clinical trial. We we're enrolling patients. There's nine active sites. Uh, we're targeting 10 sites. We expect to have some data next year, um, both from the phase 1B portion. So that's a dose escalation portion that'll be on about nine patients. And then we should have some phase 2 interim analysis data as well. So Lens in that setting, we're getting it ahead of the CAR-T. So it's the same day as the CAR-T administration, but several hours ahead of the CAR-T as a true prophylactic to try to prevent cytokine storm, neurotoxicity, and you know this may come as a surprise, but potentially to improve the efficacy of CAR-T as well. So we published an article in Blood, it was a preclinical model of CAR-T, but we showed we reduced not just CRS and neurotox, but we improved the, uh, the clinical effect of CAR-T. And this all goes back to GMCSF and its role in MDSCs, which you mentioned. So, you know, Vincenzo Bronte, uh, you know, discovered those cells. We think they're very active. They play a role in uh, reducing the effectiveness of, of CAR-T. Um, so we think blocking GMCSF can have a role both in improving the safety and the efficacy of CAR-T. So that's, that's the CAR-T program. The QGVHD, that trial hasn't started yet. That's going to be a very large phase two slash three trial. It's in the UK. Uh, 27 centers will be involved. We're doing that in collaboration with the Impact Group, which is a, a consortium of transplant centers. We're expecting that to, you know, probably have first patient enrolled in the second half of, of 2021. So that trial is still sort of in late planning stages, but again, a very interesting trial. There's been a lot of proof of concept uh, data published now in science translational medicine and in blood. In particular, that science translational medicine paper came out of the University of Zurich and a, a PI, Burkhard Becker. We ended up signing a, a license with him to use that technology. So it's a technology around blocking GMCSF to treat or prevent GVHD. So we're excited to get 
that trial up and running. Again, we should, that should be started next year. And then the final indication, as you mentioned, is CMML. So this is a slightly different uh, pathway. It's not really in the cytokine storm umbrella. CMML is a myeloid leukemia. So it's chronic monomyelocytic leukemia. That's what CMML stands for. So as a myeloid-driven leukemia, they actually use GMCSS as a growth factor. So as, as it was originally discovered. So in this case, we think that if we block that growth factor and then hit those cancer cells with a chemotherapeutic, uh, we may be able to have a more profound clinical impact than just uh, you know, blocking a growth factor or hitting, hitting it singly with a chemotherapeutic. So it's a com combination frontline treatment trial. Um, it's gonna be in Australia. And again, that probably will start next year as well. We have some phase one data, I think that you were referring to with Moffitt. That's already been published. Yeah. Um, in blood, we saw some interesting uh, responses, mostly in these patients who have RAS pathway mutations. And we think that that pathway makes CMML uh, leukemia cells more sensitive to GMCSF. So biologically that makes sense. And now we, as we move into this phase two trial, we're only gonna be looking at patients who have uh, mutations in this RAS pathway. So all of those patients should have a hypersensitivity to GMCSF in terms of the, their cancers will use GMCSF as a growth factor. Uh, now, we've mentioned a, a number of partners here. Uh, where is the IP for all this work? The, uh, most of it sits with Humanogen, so composition of matters with Humanogen, I think that brings us out to 2028. And then when you start looking at you know, method of use in CAR-T, uh, method of use to prevent uh, ARDS with COVID, um, method of use to treat acute GVHD, that, those are all later, 2038, uh, 2042. Uh, and we've either filed all that or licensed it in the case of GVHD from the University of Zurich. So we've been very, very active on the IP front. That's something that we are, I guess, um, uh, we keep front of mind all the time as we're thinking about new indications. We make sure we're, you know, we certainly have the method of use and, and freedom to operate in those spaces. Okay. And finally, final question, uh, we always have to get down to the money. Uh, tell me about your latest financing, your current runway, and in light of the fact that virtual JP Morgan is coming up, uh, any conversations you're looking to have during that time? Yeah, so the latest financing was, I guess, a, a great milestone for us, and really a page turner for us. We went from an OTC company, and was, this was essentially a re-IPO for Humanogen. So we got uplisted to NASDAQ. Uh, JP Morgan and Jeffries led that round. It was just over a $70 million financing, had a lot of blue chip investors that were involved with that. So that was a great, uh, I guess, inflection point for the company to get back on NASDAQ, um, then be el eligible for analyst and Wall Street coverage, which we have now now have. Um, maybe you'll have to, uh, so in terms of conversations we're looking forward to at JP Morgan, uh, JP Morgan's always a, just a haze of meetings as, as I'm sure you're familiar, everything from, you know, investors to uh, business development, uh, to different collaborations. Um, that's essentially where the kite collaboration happened a couple of years ago. So, you know, I'm looking forward to those types of conversations as we approach our phase three readout with COVID. I'm imagining there's going to be some interest around uh, our COVID program. We're now in a clinic with our uh, CAR-T program and prevention of cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity. So as we get closer and closer to data there, I'm sure there's going to be some 
some interest from um, potential partners in that area as well. And then it's always a pleasure to meet with our investors. Obviously, they're, they're part of our customer base, if you want to think about it that way. Um, so it's always interesting to hear what they have to say and make sure that we're, you know, keeping them in front of them, keeping them informed. Um, it's, yeah, uh, JP Morgan is, is a fantastic experience. As you know, it's, uh, it's exhausting, but I look forward to it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've done, I don't know, six or seven of them. And I always tell people I'm going to JP Morgan. They go, well, how was the meeting? I said, I have no idea. It was across the street at the hotel room, at this ballroom, at this bar. And yeah, that's where the meeting actually takes place. Yeah. Well, until next year, when we can actually do this in person, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today I have been speaking with Dr. Dale Chappelle. He is the CSO of Humanogen. And Dale, it was a great pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, my pleasure is mine, Neil. Thank you very much.